whether missionary work is just a friendly front for cultural imperialism. What's she going to do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, I'm going to deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just going to walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Cain in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. Welcome to Walk the Earth. I'm Greg, and I've hit a question today that I'm genuinely conflicted about. I have perhaps even multiple points of view, so I want to take a look at it from two distinct angles and share perhaps a little bit of my own perspective, but a fair amount from the perspective of others, and I've got a few things lined up to quote along the way. But first, I think I might want to cite the one time I've dealt with this particular topic before. It was in 2012, Inappropriate Conversations number 94, July of that year. The missionary position is local. And in that episode, I talked a bit about Shane Claiborne and his The Simple Way ministry. And that indeed being a missionary example of something that is local. Since the missionary work that he was describing was in Philadelphia and at the time he was living there. So I'm still going to stand by that principle from an inappropriate conversations perspective. But I want to bring a walk the earth element to it by dealing just a little bit more with maybe a direct church answer. Before I go there, though, I've been listening to some new podcasts or some podcasts that I haven't listened to in quite some time. And one of the things that it kind of called to my attention was that I don't do a good enough job, despite offering citations on how to reach me, how to contact me, I don't necessarily do a good enough job of restating the intention. So I'm going to be a little bit intentional here in August and September of this year, at the beginning of each one of these shows, reintroducing the show just in case someone has not encountered the format before. This podcast is Walk the Earth. It can be found at inappropriateconversations.org, where it shares the same RSS feed with the Inappropriate Conversations podcast. And in many ways, this is a spinoff, if you will. While recording Inappropriate Conversations, which focuses on politics, religion, sex, culture, the strange bedfellows, the things we're not supposed to talk about at the dinner table, that idea, I went through a process of realizing that I was going to need to change churches. And from that process of leaving a denomination that I attended virtually all my life and seeking not just a new church, a new congregation, but a new denomination as well, and my entire family making this journey with me, although we uh, have adult kids now, so they've gone their own way. And also members of my church Sunday school class, members of my small group that met in my home a couple of a couple of times a month during the evenings, were also making the same journey. We had the same problem with the inwardly focused, almost selfish, and uh, almost destructive attitude of that congregation, and we needed to find a new place. And that I was willing to stay there perhaps longer than I should have, trying to minister to that congregation within that congregation in various different leadership roles, trying to call to their attention some of the ways that they were you know, maybe missing the mark and should have sought a higher calling, an outward look instead of an inward gaze. But there comes a point where you need to equip yourself, where you need to be fed rather than just feeding. And that led us to walk away. So in the process of discussing this with friends and co-workers and trying to get a grip on it, many questions 
were arising. Some were questions for me, like the one I'm going to share today. Others were questions that those friends had. You know, what is a church? Is it just the building? What's a denomination? What's a small group? Those kinds of questions. And in the process of going to 14, 15, 16 different churches in that first year to try to seek that new home, those questions were able to get explored in the context of individual and specific experiences. I document that in Walk the Earth. One of my coworkers at the time uh, was talking with me about it, and I said, I'm just having a hard time describing what I'm doing. I just know I've got to do it. And he said, well, isn't it a little bit like that scene in Pulp Fiction near the end where uh, one of the hitmen tells the other one that he's just going to walk the earth like Cain in Kung Fu until God puts him where he wants him to be? And that's the gist of the Walk the Earth podcast. Now, we have since, my wife and I, and one of our children, moved to a new church home and uh, gone through the process of joining that church and active participation in the church. So in some ways, the the real mission of moving me from one congregation to another in a way that was consistent with uh, what I'm hearing the Holy Spirit speak into my life on various issues, um, that's happened, that's been accomplished. But the questions haven't necessarily gone away. And even in situations where I feel comfortable that my church or my new church home will have a good answer to some of these questions, uh, the questions nevertheless are worth addressing. And the one I want to talk about now, I don't know if I've got a good answer. I don't know if there's anyone that I would immediately turn to to provide counsel on this question. Because on the one hand, I do believe in the Great Commission. I believe that we should be sharing our faith, but doing so gently and with respect for others, that we should be making disciples. But it raises questions about what does it mean to make disciples. And it even raises questions about the meaning of the concept of missionary. If you believe, as I do, that missionary work is ultimately local, the delivery of that moment of mission is going to be a face-to-face thing. It doesn't mean that every one of us has to hop on a plane and fly across the world. And in fact, to talk about this from one of the two angles I want to address, I think often that's a very bad idea. Now, I want to walk gently here. I've got many Christian friends who listen to the podcast, and uh, some who have met me, some who haven't. But even the ones who haven't met me face-to-face know me well enough to know that I am not issuing any sort of public criticism or attack In many ways, I want to talk about this from my own perspective, but I don't know that I would ever join a mission trip to go to any section of what we might describe as the undeveloped world to participate actively in something like building a school because I'm neither an architect nor a contractor. I don't know that I'm the guy that I would trust in my own backyard to dig a functioning water well. So why would I presume to go into a point in the world where people are at their most vulnerable, and assume that my abilities and skills at digging that well are going to to be you know life-giving to them for decades. If I wouldn't trust myself to put a well in my own backyard, I'm certainly not going to put a well in the backyard of an orphanage in Africa. And yet a lot of times, we have to make this decision as people who want to be engaged in making the world a better place and uh, speaking out for people. And one of the ways we can do that is financially. I mean, I certainly could help by donating to the cause of someone who is a genuinely gifted you know, contractor. Somebody who's very capable of building a well that would last effectively for decades, if not longer. That person, uh, the best thing I can offer that person is money. If I were standing there next to the person doing the work, uh, maybe holding a flashlight is the extent of my handyman skill set. So I need to be very aware of the fact 
that there are some missions that the best thing I can do is not participate in a really direct way because I simply don't have the skills and ability. I wouldn't be helping and would raise the question of whether or not my decision to go on a trip like that would be about me or about the people that I was presumably called to serve. I have gone on a large mission trip before. I believe I was between my sophomore and junior year in high schools, trying to remember. I'm pretty sure that was where it was. And I'm not 100% sure if I've got this part right. Was I going with the church that my family had attended when we moved to that city from when I was just about to start kindergarten and was a member of that church all the way until eighth grade? Or was this with the church that I had been attending since moving across town in eighth grade? It was a United Methodist congregation. Perhaps that's enough to say about it. And that it had members from various other churches, which is part of the reason my memory here is fuzzy. It's not like the only people on that bus trip down to El Paso, Texas, were people that were part of my youth group. It was a broader thing than that. But we did go as a youth group to El Paso, Texas. And I very much wanted to go. I'd never uh, really been to that part of the country before. It was going to include a trip to Mexico. And this was at a time of year, a time of life, when Juarez was not viewed as dangerous as it is today. Uh, 30, 40 years ago, a trip to Juarez would have been viewed as, I mean, uh, your chaperones would want to be very alert. But right now, that's almost entering a war zone, or at least that's the way the news makes it appear. So that was going to be exciting. It was going to include a trip to Mexico. It was also going to include a stop for a few hours in one of my favorite cities in the country, San Antonio, Texas. So I was looking forward to the trip. But I will tell you that from a missions perspective, all I really remember is uh, painting some some curb of sidewalk that needed to be like fire lane red. You know, I remember doing that. I remember sweeping up and cleaning glass. This was an inner city church. I'm not sure the denomination. Um, and it had been old and in some degree of disre- disrepair. But nothing I was being asked to do as, of course, a middle school kid or a junior a high school kid required that much talent. So it wasn't like I was on one of those trips where the goals were more grandiose than my skill set could support. But I've also just provided an exhaustive list of what, for the better part of a week, I did that could even be remotely considered missions. There were uh, Bible studies and devotionals. There were sing-alongs. There were church worship services, trip to the beach, sightseeing. But there was probably more tourism than anything else. So one of the concepts I want to deal with is this idea of missionary tourism. And then the other idea is directly the question that I'm I'm trying to face and grapple with today, and that's this notion of cultural imperialism. Both of them are kind of wrapped up in the idea of whether there's a way of thinking of some mission trips as being good and healthy, both for the young person, in my case, going on that mission trip, but also for the people that, again, we were serving, the people, the focus of the mission itself. And both questions sort of deal with that. But let me begin by asking the first one, maybe the easier question. I'm going to refer to an article from July 2016 at uh, thegospelcoalition.org. It's Don't Be a Missionary Tourist, written by Mike Pettengill, July 5th, 2016. I want to deal with his intro and then some of the specific bullet points, because I think that Pettengill gets right to the heart of this part of the question. Here's, Here's his article. Before I discuss the pitfalls of being a missionary tourist, I suppose I should clarify what I mean. 
A missionary isn't a tourist just because he takes selfies, buys souvenirs, or has lots of fun while serving. In fact, a missionary tourist's actions will almost always look good and right. It's the motives that are problematic. A missionary tourist participates in missions for self-aggrandizing reasons. She goes on trips to appear compassionate, to experience the other culture, to improve her resume, or feel good about herself. A godly missionary, by contrast, desires to be a sacrifice poured out so that others might receive Christ's grace. Of course, it's nearly impossible to discern a condition of the heart, and no one but the individual can know if he or she is a mere tourist or not. Actions alone don't turn a servant into a tourist. Every missionary must examine her own heart and then ensure that his motives or her motives are pure and Christ-centered. The questions that the headlines in the article raise are, are we serving God or seeking fans, for one? And are we fulfilling what he might describe as a countercultural call? That there's got to be something more going on inside the human heart that's um, not me-centered, but selflessly giving time and treasure to serve those who can't ever repay you. That's kind of the concept. So this calls out the potential problem of missionary tourism. And I will tell you honestly, if I look back on that trip to El Paso, Texas, all those years ago, I still feel like I'm on the fence. Perhaps I was too young to hold myself fully accountable for what it meant. Or maybe the people who organized the trip didn't ask enough of me that I was truly challenged. I don't know. But all the same, I went on the trip, and it didn't leave enough of an impression on me that I actually remember exactly who I was on the trip with. I do tell the story, though. I refer often to this trip. Being a fair-skinned person, somebody who's very reliant upon sunscreen. Well, this was back before the SPF varieties of sunscreen were available. And I distinctly remember one day during the El Paso stay where we were kind of given the green light to go swimming in a community pool that was nearby. And the problem that I had was I wasn't expecting there to be swimming. I had a swimsuit with me, but I didn't really anticipate it ever being used. It was just along on the trip. You know, Mom packs your bags, includes everything. But one of the things it didn't have, I didn't have sunscreen. And this was summertime, between, again, the summer between two school year, uh, two grades of high school in El Paso, Texas. And uh, it's one of these things where I, I can never remember exactly whether I tell the story right. As I get older, I imagine I'll be talking about it being 132 degrees with zero humidity. But it really probably was 110 degrees or so outside. Felt like 120. And that's, that's the truth. And I needed to, before that expedition to the swimming pool, needed to get some sunscreen. There was no way I could swim outside in that particular direct sunlight. But in the course of walking a few blocks down the road to the nearest convenience store to buy the best sunscreen they had, which back then was copper tone shade, that was as good as I was going to get. And walking back, because none of my friends would wait inside the convenience store for me to apply any of the sunscreen, I got enough of a sunburn that there was no point in using the sunscreen and therefore no point in going swimming. And the way I jokingly tell it is that I once got a sunburn while walking across the street in El Paso, Texas. So I want to be deferential to people who have gone on these kinds of mission trips and left with much more memorable, life, even life-changing kinds of experiences. And one example of that can be found on the blog patheos.com. Love Joy Feminism is the name. The article is called Missionary Tourism by Libby Ann, and I'm going to quote it from July 10th, 2014. This is Libby Ann speaking. 
I went on a mission trip to a country in South America when I was 15. Most of our time was spent on things that can be best described as tourism. We went out to eat at restaurants, tried new foods, drove through crowded city streets, went to tourist shops to buy souvenirs, visited schools and villages. We spent very little time doing anything that resembled missionary work. I found this trip transforming. For one thing, it gave me a global perspective and reinforced just how wealthy we were in the United States. Seeing the smiles of children who had nothing, children in orphanages or living in mud huts, had a big impact on me. If they could be cheerful in those circumstances, I wondered, what right had I to complain? And if people were living here in such circumstances, what right had I to live in comparative opulence? This trip gave me a taste of a culture and a way of life very different from that of the United States. It broadened my horizons and deepened my understanding of the world. But that's just the thing. The significance of this trip was in the impact it had on me, and not in the impact I had on those I met while I was there. For them, I was just passing through, and in most cases, I was merely an observer. She goes on from there. Excellent article. And I'm going to hit this from two different angles, trying to answer this question. One is that perhaps maybe the thing that the youth group was trying to accomplish, maybe they did accomplish it, was opening the eyes of kids like me in the exact same way that Libby Ann describes in her 2014 article or blog post on pathios.com, that maybe I did see the world from a different perspective, and maybe that equipped me to later have the right perspective and heart for um, the way we can minister to others around the world. So that's the plus side of it. And I would say that I probably do agree with her to some extent there. On the other side, though, I think that she and some of the other articles that I've read say the same thing in terms of what kind of uh, relationship can you truly build in a discipleship sort of a way if you're only going to be there for a week or two. I mean, even sharing my own personal testimony. And back then when I was in the middle of high school. I'm not sure I had much of a personal testimony. But even sharing that personal testimony wasn't going to have much life to it beyond that point. You come in, you do some community service type activities, and then you leave. To the people that you actually would be trying to serve, the actual people angle of it, you're almost just an echo, just a whisper. You're not really having the lingering impact that you might expect someone to have in, if we're going to use words like missionary to describe them, or ministry as their goal. One other on this question of missionary tourism, and then I'm going to turn more to the, the point of the difference between culture and religion, and to what degree imperialism may or may not be too harsh of a term. This article is uh, from July 22nd, 2016. It's the Good Men Project. Part of their featured content was an article called What Purpose Does Missionary Tourism Really Serve? Written by Chaluba Masanda. So this is uh, the writings there. The subtitle is, Are People Really Making a Positive Difference? Or Just Looking for Something Exciting to Write Home About? Let me jump in a little bit to the heart of the article, because this one is an interesting perspective. It's written from somebody living in America who's an immigrant to America. So it has just, again, a little bit of a different perspective. One of the bullet points in here is why embark on a journey so far away? I was always taught as a little boy, the writer writes, that charity begins at home and as a proud resident of the United States and citizen of Zambia, 
It makes absolutely no sense that one would pick their pack up their bags and leave their family and friends behind to embark on a quest to save the world when a couple of miles from their own homes lie their fellow countrymen in poverty and despair. If you haven't already, I humbly ask you to look up the poverty rates in the United States or examine the literacy rates or the quality of education in some of America's major cities and small towns. Fairly convicting question. Referring to something called a savior mentality, Musanda asks this question. Why do folks in the West feel as though they were the ordained ones to save the world? The biblical verse from the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 3, might offer some candid advice for our missionary tourist friends. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is why I feel that if individuals in the West want to see changes around the world, the West must lead by example. Just look at the unsolved issues in our own generation here in the United States. Issues such as income inequality, crumbling roads and bridges, the prison and military industrial complex, failing schools, the student loan crisis, systemic racism, inner city crime, etc. What really troubles me, he asks, are individuals who are exploiting those in need for personal satisfaction or gain. As a Zambian immigrant living in the USA, after spending 18 years of my life in Africa, even I must admit that it would be disingenuous for me to assume that my Western education makes me an expert on the challenges being faced at home. So the route I have opted to play is to one of highlighting what is positive at home so that those who want to engage in positive economic and educational activity on the continent of Africa can. After all, places like Zambia don't need handouts. What we need, in my humble opinion, he says, is more economic partnerships to promote local industry, better health, and education services and trade. Free Bibles and bags of rice are wonderful and do help those in dire straits. But what is truly needed in addition to the good book are economic programs that can make developing nations lift their poor out of those dire situations. So that's the missionary tourism side of the question. And I feel like the answer is, to me, the line that I draw is that there is actually some very good things that need to be done to and through missionaries. Some of them are skilled specifically in certain tasks. Uh, teaching English as a second language may or may not be one of them. I don't speak a foreign language fluently enough to pick up that mantle. But I could support those who do, just like I could support people who are genuinely skilled at building homes and orphanages and hospitals churches, digging wells, things of that nature. So for me, it's probably not about getting that cultural experience of flying across the world and more about doing what I can in my own way. I realize anyone who listens to Inappropriate Conversations 94 will find an ironic twist there, and I'm okay with that. I realize that recommending people check out past editions of Walk the Earth and Inappropriate Conversations can be a little bit tricky, at podcatchers like iTunes, it's often true that only the last 20 or so episodes are available. So referring to something from a few years ago probably rules out a traditional podcatcher. There's a couple of things I try to do to address that issue. One is that I've left every podcast up and available at inappropriateconversations.org. Even from the very beginning where the sound quality was shaky, I don't take them down. I don't make them inaccessible. So the website is a very good way. It's a Podbean website. There's also a Podbean app that is not a bad way of consuming Podbean-based podcast productions. The other way, though, is SoundCloud. 
I don't post entire episodes there, but I've gone through the process from the first episode up into the hundreds now of pasting clips. I've done them in numeric chronological order, but pasting enough of a clip of the previous show that someone who wanted to get a sense of it um, could do so. With Walk the Earth, for example, I'm leaving out the introductory question and the prayer at the end, and as I work my way up through Walk the Earth, pasting kind of the entire answer on SoundCloud. So these older episodes are available, both at the website and through SoundCloud. And if you have any questions, of course, I can be reached at IC underscore Greg at Hotmail.com. The other side of the question, the one that I've kind of ignored until now, is by far the more challenging and difficult of the two. And it twists a little bit into the area of whether or not I want to focus on is the individual going on a mission trip? Is their heart in the right place? Are they, again, focused on others, focused on the mission work they're actually trying to do? Or is it about personal experience? And in some ways, even if you wanted to be cynical about it, personal gain. But the other idea here is what if you really were focused on, solely on, that other person or that other community, and that your goal was to make them more like you? I think I've just described something that I could easily easily just denigrate as cultural imperialism. And that's our question today whether missionary work is really just a friendly front for cultural imperialism. And I know those terms, friendly front, sounds very accusing. But what I would say is probably your average person who goes on a mission trip where this element is in play is likely is not unaware of it. Even the people who are leading and leading this cultural imperialism, if that's the term I'm going to use for it, may not be fully aware that that's what they're up to, for want of a better phrase. They would read the end of Matthew's gospel, Matthew 28, the last few verses, as saying that it is necessary to go and convert people. And it begs some questions about what does what do we mean when we say make people disciples? Is the most important thing baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit? Or is the most important thing forming a relationship, building bridges where there are none now? And that really gets me to the heart of the question. It's almost a question I don't want to answer today is what is disciple? What does it mean to make a disciple for one? But it's enough to kind of skirt past that a little bit and set it aside from the perspective of um, there's a legalistic reading of this verse that says, of course, you must, when you go on a mission trip, baptize people and you must baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, because that's what the magic words in the magic books say. But to me, there's almost a, a larger question here, and that's that, you know, is it okay if someone who lives in Italy is worshiping God by speaking prayers in Italian? Or do we need that person to switch the words he uses in his prayer to English, which is kind of a ridiculous light idea, or Latin, which maybe has some more merit, but not as much more merit as you might think. If we start talking about ancient Greek and Hebrew, then I think you could be getting into the right headspace in terms of the language that the Bible actually uses to speak to us, speaking those languages back. I I just don't know that it's necessary for us to change the way people think and, and speak. We don't necessarily have to change how they live. We do have to hopefully... Uh, fill some gaps and, and address some wrongs and provide uh, shelter where there is no shelter, clothing where there is no clothing. 
but we don't have to change the way people dress. I don't, we don't have to uh, change their diet or switch them to our food. It is, in my mind, unquestionably cultural imperialism if the mission is to go on that trip and Americanize everybody. And this is where I feel like the accusing tone of the question I'm asking is serious. I'm not just making fun and probably justified because it kind of gets to the heart of some of the things that are going wrong in the church today. Conflation of ideas like church and state, for one thing. Um, confusing Christianity with with nationalism in any way whatsoever. And then assuming that the Great Commission means we need to go export our culture. To me, culture should be left as much alone as possible. And there's a couple of perspectives on this that I will share. I thought they were going to be point-counterpoint, but they're actually kind of concurrent with each other. Both of them appear in a blog called sustainabilitynow.org. Sustainability-now.org. One is, in fact, a uh, response to the other. In March 23, 2015, Julio Saki wrote an article called The Enemy of My Culture is Religion, talking about being a Maya teacher in a small village in Belize, I believe, and trying to address what happens when missionary work interrupts the culture. So let's take a quick look at some of the observations that he has to make there. Coming to the, about the middle of his article, uh, the Christians say their God is three in one. Ours is ten in one, and we share the same traditions of prayer and worship. So why have missionaries in Belize destroyed our culture? It began with European priests and pastors who came and taught our Maya people. Today, most of the pastors are Maya, and they have learned the lessons of cultural imperialism well. They teach that our traditions are evil, our art and dance demonic. They say that if we practice our culture, that we will not enter the kingdom of God. They give gifts of food and clothing that create dependency and laziness. And now, with the arrival of four denominations in our small village, they teach that the adherents of other religions do not follow the correct way. They dismiss the essential traditions that teach us how to have strong marriages and families by assuring us that God will take care of everything. The results of the teachings is competition, criticism and strife within our village and our families. Without our cultural practices, we lose our pride and identity. We forget who we are. Our food, clothing, music, and dance are what makes us uniquely us and bind one generation to another. Our traditions of respect are missing, and so is the respect we used to have for all that is in our world. The idea that we only need to trust in God has relieved many of their responsibilities and weakened or destroyed the family unit. Historically, our marriage traditions forced us to consider and confess our weaknesses before we were married, and to understand and accept the wise counsel that our families offered. Today that is missing, and so are stable marriages in many cases. Today we have single mothers who cannot support their children. Today we have men who do not provide for their families. Today we have people who worship no God and who neither pray nor give thanks. Today we have people in our village who judge and criticize rather than respect and honor. Today we have people who wait for the church handouts rather than working for what they need. Furthermore, religion goes beyond the imaginable by forcing their members not to talk to those who are not of the same religion, causing immediate family breakdown, creating a fertile opportunity to separate families, the heart of cultural survival. This is not the Maya way. 
He goes on to ask a few other questions. And it truly is an article filled with asking questions, including questions like, can we insist that preachers be taught the difference between religion and culture? Can we insist that they understand how destructive Christianity has been to native cultures? And can we try to help our fallen brothers and sisters by teaching them Maya pride again? The argument I'm going to suggest is that perhaps there is a way that culture and religion, even a change in religion, could live right alongside each other. But if that's not possible, if one has to pick between respecting another person's culture, a culture that I could not presume to understand, even in a one-month stay, much less a one- or two-week visit, or practicing this notion of going and making disciples, making disciples perhaps come hell or high water, that it might be best if we didn't make disciples that way. There are stories in the early history of the colonization of North America, both um, in Mexico and and further south, this Maya area of Central America, and also the Native American Indians in, in what we call the United States today, of violence being used to convert people to religion. And if your shift to Christianity comes because otherwise uh, some act of violence might be performed against you or someone you love, well, that is not ex- that's not anywhere near what Jesus is describing. And that if we presume that the Bible has to be followed like some legalistic book of rules, at the very least, we should follow the heart of Christ when it comes to reaching out to other people. So the response to this was, written by Marty Collins, I'm guessing about a week later, March 24th, 2015. The same uh, website, sustainability-now.org, is missionary work cultural imperialism? It's almost as if her question is the same as my question, and I'm hopeful that she gets to a more definitive answer than I believe I'm going to. Collins wrote this, I too have my culture. I am a Christian Canadian. I attended church most of my life, collected money for the poor children overseas, and the missions that served them. I attended Mission Week and listened enraptured by the tales of adventures in far-off lands. I really thought we were doing a good thing. Now I am a grandmother, no longer an idealist. I have been in Belize for several years, and I have changed my mind on the benefit of missions, certainly in Belize. This is a country which opens the national radio station with morning prayers. Everyone I have met considers themselves to be a Christian. Sorry, I mean a Catholic or a Baptist or an Adventist or a Nazarene or maybe a Jehovah's Witness. My village of 300 people has three churches, which have divided our village into critical camps. And still the missionaries come to share the word of God. So I've decided to do some research, and here's what I found. Early missionaries were given the notion of cultural superiority due to their religion. Accordingly, earlier colonial efforts were delighted to destroy cultural heritage, exactly as ISIS is doing today. Quoting, When Fray Diego de Landa, a Catholic missionary accompanying the Spanish forces in the New World, discovered extensive Maya libraries, he knew what to do. He burned them all in an event. He said the Maya regretted to an amazing degree and which caused them so much affliction. The books, in his opinion, were all of a superstition and lies of the devil. And so, in 1562, the poetry, history, literature, mathematics, and astronomy of an entire civilization went up in smoke. And to this day, their their loss is grieved. Of course, we can say, well, that was then. Things are different today. Really? 
Patrick J. Buchanan was a presidential candidate of the 1992 Republican National Convention. It said, quote, Our culture is superior to the other cultures, superior because our religion is Christianity. I believe there are many examples of the damage that has been done to indigenous people. For example, in Canada and in the USA, Belize and many other countries. One of the most culturally diverse and openly published works concerns what has happened in Brazil. Only 200,000 Indians remain in Brazil, from an original population estimated at 4 million. More than one tribe per year has disappeared in the past 75 years. People may assume that the missing tribes have been absorbed into society, but this is not the case. Many of the distinct tribes are now extinct. Several quotations worth looking behind the detail here in the article that was you know, written by Collins for sustainabilitynow.org. This was March 24th, 2015. So what I thought originally was going to be a point-counterpoint was somebody who had um, lived in Belize and was part of the Maya legacy and was looking at the impact of Christian missionaries, uh, not just, again, way back in the 16th century and before, but even recently. And then maybe a counterpoint from somebody who is, uh, lives there now and comes from maybe more of a North American-Canadian heritage. But no, I think what we have actually is two concurring opinions on the destruction and the danger and the negativity that we might associate not just with missionary tourism, but in this case with what would have to be called cultural imperialism. And it begs the question of how much do I want to support the concept of overseas missions and what guardrails would I put around that to make myself more comfortable with things that I'm frankly not even remotely comfortable with today? I don't want to be somebody who's opposed to missions. I don't want to be anti-missionary. I'm not even 100% sure that I want to be the kind of person who would rule himself out of a mission trip to uh, fail to pay it forward, like being the uh, the sponsors, the chaperones, if you will, for the kind of youth group trip that I went on when I was in high school. But this is really where things get very tricky. Because first, how do you control what's in your own heart? your own mission, if you will, for going on a mission trip, that line between what is tourism and what is truly service, well, that's one problem. But a larger problem is, is the goal of someone going in and providing some sort of help to an indigenous population of any sort truly going to be a long-term benefit to them in and as they live? Or is it going to be some sort of potentially destructive cultural imperialism? It may be a terrible thing if people are suffering from a drought and don't have any water, but it may not be a good thing if a well is built so shoddily that it only functions for a few months, year or so at the most, and then stops functioning because the people who built the well were better at being Christian than they were at being, well, engineers. This is the challenge. So for me, I think if I've got to make a difficult decision, I'm not going to make it. Because I fear that the answer would be, might be better served taking my own mantra that missionary work is ultimately local a touch too seriously. Even inside a local situation, if you insist that um, somebody change their music, change the books they read, change the way their hair is styled, or you otherwise won't minister to their needs, you won't mentor them or interact with them, then you're even engaging in an act of cultural imperialism in a place where an argument might be made that we're all, quote-unquote, the same culture. 
This is a difficult, challenging question. I think my answer is, you know, hopefully not. (laughs) But it feels like I've answered a couple of questions here in a row where I'm less sure and more speculative. I mean, I, I hope that Jesus is the way to disarm the violent protests in our society and heal the divisions. And here, I hope that missionary work isn't just a friendly front for cultural imperialism. But if I had to make a true confession right here, right now, I think what I'd have to say is that I'm not 100% sure. Even as you were led, please join me in prayer. Lord, I approach your words to us in the Gospels from the perspective that your knowledge far far superior to all of ours, that none of us should assume that we know exactly what you meant and that we should go do exactly what we think you meant. Lord, we need to continue to seek wisdom. Even if the words seem as straightforward as go and make disciples, Lord, help us to understand what you mean by go, what you mean by make, and what you mean by disciples. Lead us. Lord, as we make difficult decisions in a world that feels closer than ever, it's easier perhaps than ever before to be a young person, whether in high school or college and hopping on a plane and traveling halfway across the world to serve in one capacity or another, a completely different culture of people. Lord, help us to have very sensitive ears to hear what your Holy Spirit wants to tell us. And the eyes to see people not from our own limited cultural biases, but from your perspective, to know where to reach in and touch and try to make a difference, and where to leave their culture exactly the way we found it. In your heavenly name we pray. Amen. What happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. Don't talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. Next on Walk the Earth, whether people, including children, are allowed to pray in school. Thanks for listening. This show is part of the Pride 48 Network. Find more shows over at pride48.com.